Welcome to the Boba News Podcast. I'm Kim Bremer and I'll be your host today. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk genetics and making elite mating decisions. Three times each year, new proofs are generated that provide new information on service sires that producers can use to make mating decisions. Today, we're going to talk to one of the elite breeders in our dairy industry to find out how they value new proof information and how they use it to inform mating decisions. With me today is Lloyd Holterman, who, along with his wife Daphne and their partners Tim Strobel and Jordan Matthews, own Rosie Lane Holsteins, a dairy farm near Watertown, Wisconsin. Lloyd and Daphne started farming in 1981 after graduating from UW-Madison. They formed an LLC in 1999 and Tim Strobel joined as partner and in 2013 Jordan Matthews joined as well. Lloyd and Daphne have grown the Rosie Lane herd from 80 cows to 1,050 cows plus young stock. The Rosie Lane team consists of 20 full-time employees that help care for the animals and raise all the forages. So welcome to the podcast today, Lloyd. So we'll start off today with, uh, I'd like to talk, or I'd like for you to talk to uh, everyone today about when you are making mating decisions, what process do you go through for your elite animals? What influences the decisions that you make? Well, the first thing uh, we look uh, for a very high net merit dollar value because we want these cattle to make as much money as possible. We also want them to rank well on DWP, <clears throat> Dairy Wellness Profit of the Zoetis Index. Uh, and then we do select these heifers, the highest ones for each of those two things. And um, we also would uh, just look at uh, from that, from those lists, we try to sort out the ones that are very poor on productive life and daughter pregnancy rate, because we think those two uh, items are the most important things in making cows last or having cows that last. What's your number one goal when you're making the mating decisions? Um, to eventually have a seven or eight year old cow in the herd, seven or eight, uh, nine years from now, uh, that's producing a lot of milk, breeds back and has resisted disease because those kind of cows are making a lot of money. So Lloyd, do you go through a different process when you're making mating decisions for your commercial herd or is it the no, same? No, not really. We use about the same bulls. Uh, we don't, we haven't got into contracting too much with uh, elite uh, programs uh, with the AI companies a little bit here and there, but uh, we pretty much, uh, our flush animals are being bred to the same bulls as, uh, as the rest of the Heard about a, about two thirds of our cows now are being bred to beef um, because uh, their genetics aren't as high as the younger animals. Um, so between the flushing and we want every heifer, our goal is to have every single heifer out of a useful bull. In other words, a bull with no holes. So we'll sacrifice a little bit on pounds protein to get the productive life and the daughter pregnancy rate and the disease resistance. Mm, interesting. So we want every cow, we want every cow at Rosie Lane to be a winner. So how do you balance the use of young genomic bulls versus proven bulls? Well, I discount the young genomic bulls. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, you have to realize the proven bulls are already about five or six years older than the genomic bulls. And so they're at a disadvantage on um, generation interval. And uh, so I'll discount them $100 or $110, somewhere in there. Um, but that being said, the young bulls still um, are going to be higher than the highest proven bulls today. So it, it, progress keeps moving along. 
Yes, and quickly at that. Can you walk us through what happens when new proofs come out? How do you utilize new proofs? Well, I, the first thing I do, like I said, I go to some lists. Uh, the whole STEAM Association has some lists compiled, and then I have to usually call an AI person uh, to get the high net merit list because I don't know that too many of those, too many websites uh, publish by net merit. And uh, uh, we will sort out the highest net merit bulls and then eliminate bulls that get their net merit off extreme production without any health traits. Then we also look for AB kappa casein or BB kappa casein. Uh, if we can find bulls that do all that and be A2A2, that uh, heightens the chance that they will get into our lineup. So um, pretty much the same as I've always done, start with high ones and start scratching ones that don't make sense to you. And how much do the new proofs influence your mating decisions? Do you find yourself using different bulls as proofs come out? Um, I hope I use different bulls because one of the things we're trying to do is to uh, reduce inbreeding. And uh, so we, we do need to use different bulls and sometimes we have to go further down the list. Uh, and that's one of the problems if we're gonna choose the highest proven bulls right now um, and use those. Our, our breeding females are already pretty much have those bulls in their pedigree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is probably a common struggle that a lot of producers have and something that they're considering as they go through this process. How has this changed over time for you? I mean, you've been you've been making quality cattle for a long time, Lloyd. Uh, what has what has changed the most over time? Um, the de-emphasis on type in the marketplace, I think, is uh, nobody expected that. But the realization is that you need a base amount of type, and anything more than that, please, uh, you you can't give up uh, the production or the health just to get animals that are a little higher on type where the marketplace before a lot of animals commercial animals were bought based on how they looked uh, without a lot of information so a nice looking heifer would uh, bring a hundred dollars or fifty dollars more than a heifer that didn't look as good uh, i think those days are over and uh, so we will not give up a dollar of performance to get a little more type or up until about year 2000 that was not the case. We would try to keep uh, solid, what we thought was solid type. And in the meantime, our cows got taller and narrower. And so it's not what we wanted. And so when we gave up on that, finally, that's when we started to make real progress. So looking into the future, we have new and more accurate genomic predictions. We have evolving technologies. How do you think genetic proofs and related mating decisions are going to change and improve as we continue moving forward? This uh, proof run will be uh, more changes than we've seen typically, maybe in the last 30 years with the addition of feed saved. So we're trying to, between feed saved and the production traits already in that merit, uh, we're going to see some kind of re-ranking of bulls where, um, you know, feed saved will reward the smaller cows, but if the smaller cow can't outproduce and outlive the the larger cow, it probably won't uh, really, that'll re be reflected in the formula. So I think uh, a little bit of re-ranking of the females. I think uh, we may discover some potential outcrosses as we, uh, as we discover the genes that influence uh, feed saved or feed efficiency. That's just one thing. Um, then uh, I think we're gonna breed a lot better disease resistance into our cattle. 
along with uh, economically important traits like kappa casein and beta casein. Is there any area that you'd like to see more focus in? Well, uh, between the formulas, you can always find a formula that will do what you want. Uh, if you're really health-minded and you're having a very large vet bills, focusing on dairy wellness profit may be more advantageous to you. I think net merit is uh, now with the addition of feed save may be the best, I would say is the best and going to be the best index this time around as far as picking an animal. Again, not for what the day they're born. It's nice to see a big number, but we want these cows in the herd seven and eight years from now uh, to reduce our culling costs, to reduce our vet costs, to improve our production per cow. Uh, the only way you can do that is old cows because uh, in our herd, a cow does not reach peak production until she's five, fifth lactation or seven years old. And that's, and there aren't a lot of those cows out in the country. And we need to change that um, because we need, that will help lower the uh, carbon footprint for raising less heifers or wasting less forage. Uh, heifers, uh, dairy heifers, take a lot of energy. Uh, they're not, they don't grow very efficiently like beef cattle do. So it costs a lot more feed to raise a replacement. And if we can knock off uh, a lot of replacements, uh, the whole industry will be that much more efficient. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you so much, Lloyd, for taking the time today just to share your insight and expertise. I'm sure that we'll have you back on the show again. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer, and from everyone here at Bova News, have a great day. Thank you.